The first edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is Carolina Basketball. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Michigan out of timeout. And Weber, front court, Carolina thought he'd travel with it. Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes a timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Now gets it away to Donald Williams, down the side to Stackhouse. Stackhouse streaking in on Park, rebound duck, is good, and he gets fouled by Park. Oh my goodness, what a dunk. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebound. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. Felton ready on his second attempt. That one is no good. They battle for it. Loose ball. Recovered Marvin. He scores. 17 seconds left. 79-72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion. Matthews off the mark, and this year the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. From HeelToughBlog.com, this is the Four Corners Podcast, featuring your host, Josh Marlowe. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I am your host, Josh Marlowe. Joining me is my co-host, Anthony Pagnata. I know when I last talked to you, we were on the Roy's Boys Podcast, and I told you that we were going to become the Hubert Hoopers Podcast, but after long discussions, long thought, and a trouble with the voiceover, I decided to go with a little bit more simpler podcast that still ties in Carolina basketball into the name. And therefore, I settled on the Four Corners podcast. Of course, everyone knows the Four Corners offense was designed and made famous by Dean Smith, ran to perfection by Phil Ford in the mid-70s, and is a part of Carolina basketball's lineage. And today, we get to talk about the next era of Carolina basketball. As Carolina made official the hire of Hubert Davis, announcing him as the 19th head coach on Tuesday afternoon, Inside the Smith Center, former head coach and Hall of Famer Roy Williams was in attendance for that. So in a little bit, we will touch on that press conference. We've got some audio we pulled that we will play um, so you can hear from the head coach of the Tar Heels as as, uh, as well. Let's touch on the hire, though, kind of what it meant, um, the statistics behind Hubert Davis being the, the head coach. He does stay within the Carolina, Carolina family as, of course, he was a four-year player playing from 1988 through 92, was a member of the 1989 and 91 teams that won the ACC, was a member of the 91 team that reached the Final Four that ultimately lost to Roy Williams and Kansas that season. I believe that was in Indianapolis where uh, Carolina lost, where Duke would go on to win actually their first national championship under Coach K. Um, Davis had a 12-year career in the NBA. Following his lengthy time in the association, we grew up knowing Hubert Davis as the analyst, spent seven years at ESPN, was a main part of their coverage on College Game Day. Following that, he became the assistant head coach at Carolina in 2012, joining Roy Williams' staff with no prior coaching experience, was a lead recruiter under Roy Williams, and coached the JV team 
4-7 season. As I mentioned, he does become the 19th head coach in program history. He is the first African-American head coach in the history of Carolina basketball and the third full-time African-American head coach in UNC Athletics. Everett Withers was an interim football coach before the hire. Larry Fedora is the fourth. And uh, before we touch on the press conference um, and before I really touch talk about the discussion of Hubert Davis being named the head coach, we talked on Monday when the announcement happened, and then we haven't talked really since his presser on Tuesday, but uh, it appears as if Carolina has found the next guy to lead this program for the next 10 to 15 years or so. Well, that's what they're hoping for, for sure. That was why the move was made. This is a long-term move. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's about right. I mean, he is 50 years old. Uh, so I think that the general thinking is that you would expect he's probably going to be able to give you about 15 to 20 years if he is the guy that you end up thinking he can be, um, which I definitely think there's a chance. Uh, I mean, it, it is hard to imagine that he has already been there nine years yeah. under Roy Williams and, and, and led the JV team for seven seasons. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, that's what they were hoping for with the hire, uh, going within the family, but hoping to find a guy that's going to be there for a while because – you know, as we did touch on, and I think one of the things that was really interesting was when you talked about going outside of the Carolina family, there were some really good options. Guys like Mark Few that a lot of people brought up. Um, you know, for some people, they thought, you know, they thought that for some reason uh, Jay Wright was a great option. I didn't think he was a great option for this program, but, uh, you know, that's something that we can uh, look back on for years to come and keep debating whether or not I'm an idiot. But um, with both of those guys, in particular, Mark Few, I mean, blew me away. He's 58 years old. That I mean, you Mark Few does not look 58 years old. Jay Wright, 59. So some of these guys, a lot of the guys outside of the family are, are older. older guys. So, you know, with Hubert Davis, you're getting a guy that you would imagine. I mean, first of all, like we've seen before, unless things get really bad, they're going to give you – some time to get yourself the type of guys that you want, get your system in place, which, I mean, again, there's not going to be many, you know, this isn't installing a whole new system. This isn't a complete rebuild. This is a team that's still going to have a lot of talent on it. It appears, you know, one of the things that we were talking about after the hire was, does this change any of the decisions from the guys that have already said they were coming back? Because as far as we knew, just from looking at the timeline and what had been told to us, Guys like Caleb Love, this wasn't a part of their decision. They no. were not told ahead of time that Roy Williams was thinking about retiring. When he agreed to come back, it was to play under Roy Williams. But it does not seem like that has changed anything for him. It doesn't seem like it's changed anything for any of the other guys. Everybody's just kind of gone ahead uh, with their decision. So uh, I, I still think that he is going to have a lot of guys coming back. He's not implementing a new system. He'll probably have some tweaks to it, but it's not a completely new system. So I don't think he's going to need that much time to do that. But they are going to allow you some time to sort of get, you know, learn trial by fire because that's what it's going to be for Hubert. This will be the first time that he will be a head coach. So there are going to be some ups and downs. But I think that Bubba Cunningham... Kevin Gustowitz, they are going to let him work through that a little bit, especially if they feel confident in the staff that is around him. They're going to let him do what he needs to do, and it'll run its course for for a couple of years. I don't think that 
they're really going to have to worry. I know there's a lot of people that are concerned that this is another Matt Doherty style hire. I don't think that this is that this is what that is. Um, I do think that this is going to be successful. I think the biggest thing is how successful can it be? Yeah, and we'll we'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, and we'll touch about the style of play because I do think we are in for an adjustment period for the way we're custom seeing the Tar Heels play basketball. I do think it'll be different under Hubert Davis. But, you know, we'll touch on a couple things also before we get to the press conference and some of that audio we got pulled. Um, the Matt Doherty thing, the biggest difference between this situation and when Matt Doherty got hired is Hubert Davis was the first choice. He was the leading candidate to get the job. He had the utmost support of Roy Williams. That was who Roy Williams advocated to take over for him. When Matt Doherty got the job, he was the last resort option within the Carolina family. He wasn't Dean Smith's first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth choice. He was last resort to keep the job within the family. He never took over with the utmost support of the people and the, you know the people that are, are are involved in making these decisions. Not even Dick Bedore supported him 100%. That's why after three years, and granted you lost 36 games in two years, but after three years he got canned because it was easy for them to move on from him because they didn't want him to have the job as it is. This isn't the case. The outpouring support for Hubert Davis from the Carolina family has been um, it's been astounding from general, from players that he never played with to the current players now. That's why you're not seeing outside of, you know, we, we know we've lost Garrison Brooks since named the head coach. But that decision was kind of already predetermined before the retirement. But guys like Caleb Love and R.J. Davis and all those guys, other guys that we were worried about could leave after he announced head coach, that's not happening. They all love Hubert Davis, and they're all excited to play underneath him. A fun fact for you guys and then for you, Carolina has three living coaches that have coached the program. I've met two of them. You got to meet Matt Doherty when we talked with him uh, two summers ago on the Roy's Boys edition of the podcast. I actually met Hubert Davis and have a picture with him that I'm trying to get my mom to track down. Back in 2013, we went to Chapel Hill. Uh, I have a lot of family that lives in the Triangle area. We were actually going up for a birthday party, but we made a pit stop in Chapel Hill the day of the Duke game on senior night, the only time we lost on senior night in under Roy Williams at the Carolina Basketball Museum. I got to meet him, got a picture with him. I'm trying to track that picture down, but that's you know now it's gonna we got to track down Roy Williams. So I have the three for three with living. Uh, we do, we do have to do that. Living that is... Carolina basketball coaches that I have gotten the the pleasure to to meet, um, and so that that's cool and all. And shameless plug, by the way. Yeah, you know, I just had to get that in there. Um, let's move on to the press conference because we don't we knew going in that he's not gonna have any problem winning media sessions and meeting the winning the media over. You spent seven years at ESPN. You're pretty good at that. We've seen the effect that Mac Brown's had on the football side of things, how it's been a positive thing for the program. It's 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 helped recruiting in so many ways. Carolina doesn't need ESPN to help its recruiting, but it doesn't hurt having a guy that's been in the media um, to, to help you as we're going through a different uh, a new era. Um, and you, you saw Reese Davis, Jay Billis, Fonzo Ellis, even Seth Greenberg with positive things to say about Hubert Davis taking over as the next head coach of Carolina basketball, but as emotional as Roy Williams' retirement was, his introductory press conference was just as emotional. Um, he And he opened up with saying that he's an emotional guy and he wears his emotions on his sleeve. And I think that's something that as we're adjusting to this new era, we won't have to get adjusted to seeing emotion because 
for 18 years, we saw Roy Williams show emotion in press conferences, whether it was in a good manner or in a bad manner. Um, I think we'll have the same thing under Hubert Davis. He touched on a lot of different things in terms of you know how he got the job, his reaction to getting the job. One of the very first things he talked about was the Carolina family. North Carolina is the standard. There's nobody that has family, nobody that's an example of togetherness and family than here at North Carolina. And, you know, we, we touched, and, and, I, and I prefaced this so much during the process, which was only a four-day process. It, it, Roy Williams retired on Thursday. They hired their coach. Hey, that's a process. The football Monday. process was a couple of hours, and they had their head coach. So, yeah, that's a process at Carolina. And, and so, and, and, and I stressed how important this job means to the family, why it ultimately needs to stay within the family. And I think the reaction that he got um, from the immediate members of the family, guys that he's coached, guys that he's played with. But even he touched on Larry Brown, a guy that he was convinced didn't like him because he didn't want that he asked for Larry Brown to waive him in his final year at Detroit. He ultimately does. Hasn't spoken to Larry Brown since, but the second Roy Williams retires, the, one of the first text messages he gets is from Larry Brown, a guy who played for Dean Smith in the 60s, saying, I want you to be the next head coach of the Tar Heels. And that's why, you know, you can say that that you could have gotten a better a better coach than Hubert Davis for the Tar Heels and Mark Few, Jay Wright, Brad Stevens, Wes Miller, even within the Carolina family. But this isn't just a team you're coaching, you're you're running and taking care of a program that goes back sixty years that none of those outsiders would have get, and not even Wes Miller would get to the fullest extent. And that's why I think we're more comfortable with with Hubert Davis because. He understands the history. He understands what's you know how how what comes with this job, and he's not going he's not going to willingly fail. I guess is the best way to put that. Another thing, and you mentioned this a lot um, in the moments after the press conference, and something that was very obvious during his presser is he talks a lot about Roy Williams the way Roy Williams talked about Dean Smith. Here's what the new head coach of the Tar Heels had to say: Every time that he walked through the office. I took a deep breath because I just felt settled because everything was going to be okay because Coach Williams was there. And I know that's something that you you, you took you put that on your social on, on your Twitter on your Twitter feed. That was and, a rather successful one. What the, I've had a couple in these last yeah. couple of days here on the Twitter feed. So yeah, uh, that I mean, I, I spent so much time talking about when we did the. The coaches um, podcast or coaching uh, potential coaching hires podcast. Yeah. Um, talking about how you heard a lot of that stuff from Sean May um, and Hubert Davis. I mean, was the same exact way. And I think that's one of the things when you talk, when you go back and you talk about Roy Williams. And we talked about this on the final edition of the Roy's Boys podcast. He doesn't realize how many different guys he had that impact on. I'm assuming that Dean Smith did as well, but really the only guy that was as boisterous about it um, was Roy Williams. Now you've got two guys now that we've seen that have come out and said about as much as you can about the head, the, the former now former head coach of the Tories. We've been best friends take- for 13 years. We never cheered up about our friendship in that time. I may have to question yeah. the friendship after. I, I need some emotion. Yeah, well, I mean, 
Yeah, you you try being as great of a human as Roy Williams is, and we'll get to that I'm point. Pretty, I don't I'm a think, pretty good human. Okay, let's stop. I don't think either one of us is anywhere close to as good of a human being as as Roy Williams is. Um, I, I mean, it's just I think that really just shows how much of an impact he's had on on all these guys. Because I'm assuming that I mean, look. I don't know, you know, Coach Robinson might not be the same way. I'm assuming that Steve Robinson would have a lot of great things to say about Roy Williams. Steve Robinson's a very closed-off, quiet guy. Brad Frederick, I does Brad Frederick have an interview out there? Here's a, Have friends of the pod, Jones Angel and Adam Lucas, ever even interviewed Brad Frederick? I've never seen anything. I've never seen Brad Frederick speak, except when he's yelling at guys on the court. I want to talk to his clipboard. Or breaking clipboards or whatever. I mean, this is, see, this is the thing. Everybody's saying, well, you guys, you know, you probably want Roy Williams or now Hubert Davis on the pod. No, we want Brad Frederick on the pod. You know, Can we get that lined up there, A few Kirsch? years ago, we had the Aaron Rollman, like, fan account. Oh, Maybe God. we should just start Brad Frederick's uh, clipboard. And just tweet from his clipboard. <laughs> the 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 Rollman account is no longer up there. Frickin' Rollman on social media. If anybody was wondering who ran that account, that was ran by you know, yours you, truly. You know, we had Dagum Roy, Royce Polo, Roy Sweater. Let's get Brad Frederick's clipboard. Jeez. Well, he does. He hasn't broken one in a while. He's become a little bit calmer since he's moved into a bigger role on the bench. But I bet the JV guys get the get it though. I mean, either either way, like. I mean, you just look at the fact that he's talked about in the way that he was, and, and I think that's why you know this this hire can work because this is a guy that's going. I, I I believe him when he says that he's going to take some stuff from Roy, take some stuff from Dean, take some stuff from everybody. Um, and I I think that you're you're spot on when you talk about the fact that. Um, you know, he, he gets the, the family aspect and everything like that. But, I mean, you know, it's it's he, he'll be able to take care of the family and everything like that. Best way to do it is also with results on the court. And I think he's going to be able to do that because he is going to listen to what his mentor told him. I think, you know, and again, we, we've had him on the podcast. He's a great dude. I love Matt Doherty. Yeah. I, I think he's a tremendous uh, just a tremendous individual. Um, he's done, you know, a, just a ton of great stuff. Now as an author, actually, uh, his book actually has gone to second print. So he's doing, I mean, just a fantastic job. Um, and he's just a top-notch dude, man. Anytime I see him, whenever uh, you know he's a, he, he's in the the radio studios in Charlotte, he is just a great guy. He'll always sit down, have a conversation with you, um, whatever. But we remember when we talked to him when we did the when we did the podcast with him back. Jeez, that's got to be almost summer. two summers ago, which is shocking that it's been that long. He told us right out the reason that he that he failed was because he did not listen enough to Dean Smith and and some of the other. I mean, he didn't do enough of the stuff that Dean Smith did, and and to a certain extent, Roy Williams. Because remember, he was an assistant under Roy Williams. Actually, was on his first staff at Kansas. So I think that's where it's going to be different because while I do think there are going to be tweaks, that's the key thing. It's tweaks. He's not throwing everything out and saying, I'm doing my own thing. That was the the unfortunate thing for Matt Doherty is he tried to kind of be his own guy, which is understandable. I mean, a lot. I mean, a lot of people want to do that. But you know, but we can't be your own guy at Carolina. You don't. You don't take the job and you fire the secretaries that've been there for thirty years. Look, it's one thing if you're going to be your own guy after coming from underneath a coach that wasn't all that successful and maybe got fired and they hired from within, 
or maybe they, you know, even if the guy got a bigger job but really wasn't looked at as a guy that got the job done, then, okay, you can try to do some some different things. When you're coming from a guy in Dean Smith that's seen as one of the greatest coaches of all time, you, you, you kind of got, I mean, it makes sense that you should listen to some of the things that he was telling him. And and I, I think Coach Doherty did listen to some of the things. But at the same time, I think that with him, he, he maybe, you know, from just from hearing what he said to us, not not claiming that this is what happened, but from what he said to us, it just seems like he was really trying to prove to people that he was his own guy. He wasn't going to do everything exactly like Dean did. He was going to try to make some of the tweaks to make the team successful in that modern era because the game was adjusting around them, which is what happens. But, I, I mean... The the thing that failed him that's not going to fail Hubert Davis, it's not... As much as it is your program, and I put that in quotations, it's not your program. And right. he was a guy that had one year of head coaching experience at Notre Dame, wasn't qualified to get the job. As I mentioned, he wasn't one of the top candidates that Dean Smith was knocking down their door to come coach this team. Well, that was the other part of it is that I also think that he was set he was horribly set up for failure. He pretty, was. People pretty much they everybody knew. Now again, the message boards weren't anywhere near what they are today. Um, I, I don't even know. They may have been. They were probably around, but in the very early stages, social media wasn't wasn't around. Um, but people people around the Carolina basketball program, they knew that he wasn't anywhere near the first choice. And I think that he coming in, he pretty much got he he, he was unfairly criticized the minute that he took the job. Most people looked at him and said, "This ain't gonna work." Yeah. Um. So with the hire, there's a lot. There's a lot of questions that come with you're hiring a guy who's never been a head coach. He's got nine years of assistant coaching experience and seven years coaching a JV team, which is a great experience for him in terms of having to put together a, you know, a, a practice, a game plan, in-game adjustments, because you're playing against other colleges that have scholarship guys, or everyone that plays for the JV team, they're all walk-ons, is a staff. And he touched on that. Um, and and we'll, we'll hear what he has to say, and then we'll kind of draw we'll draw some conclusions because there's a lot of questions that come from his statement about ass- assembling his staff. In terms of the staff, you can't do this job unless you're a Carolina guy. It's impossible. You can't coach here. You can't recruit here. You can't work here unless you have been here, you've experienced it, you have lived it. And so in terms of the staff, it's all guys that have experienced this place and believe it and have the passion and the desire that all of us have for this university and this program and these kids in this community. One of the things that I desperately want to do in terms of a staff is I want to connect the generations. I want to, I want to have guys on staff that played for Coach Smith. I want to have guys on staff that played for Coach Guthridge, and I want to have guys on staff that played with Coach Williams. I want to be able to connect all those because I think bringing all those coaches together is what makes Carolina Carolina. And so in assembling a staff, 
that is the number one thing that I'm thinking about. You've got to be a Carolina guy. And I want an example from every one of the coaches that have meant so much to me, but has also meant so much to this program. You know, one of the things I love the most about his statement is that he wants to link together all the generations of Carolina basketball that have had a positive impact on him and really the the generations that have built the program, Dean Smith, Bill Guthridge, and now Roy Williams. But there's been a lot of drawbacks saying that, well, now you're limiting yourself to just hiring Carolina players only. I think what he said got taken out of context. A lot like being the head coach here, it's really hard to coach here if you've never experienced Carolina basketball, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, because it is different. Um, and I can say that because when Roy Williams first came to Carolina back in 03 and 04, when he left Kansas, he brought a lot of quote-unquote Kansas guys with him. Joe Holiday, who is now retired. Gerard Haas, the head coach at Stanford. C.B. McGrath, who very well could be working his way back into a staff or a role on the staff here back at Carolina. Steve Robinson. They were all considered Kansas guys. But now you think of Steve Robinson and C.B. McGrath, and even when Joe Holiday retired, they were Carolina guys. And Gerard. And, and, Gerard. and Gerard Haas. They were, they were Carolina guys. And so I think that's what you got to remember is that he may have said that, turn the sense that you didn't play here. You've got to have ties here to a certain degree because it's just – and we, we can't tell you that it's different at, to the level that he can, that former players and coaches can. This is a different job. And so you need to have people in roles that are recruiting, coaching, handling the day-to-day responsibilities of this job that have experienced what it's like being here. You can't bring in – that's why I said you couldn't bring in an outsider as a head coach, and that's why I don't believe you can't bring in an outsider as an assistant head coach either. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I get why some people are a little concerned about that because, yeah, you are limiting yourself. Um, but I do think that there are a lot of really good options as well that you can bring in to help be a part of your coaching staff – um, I mean, the good thing is, is I know that some people are concerned about, is it really going to work at, at this level? Um, I, I, you know, you look at a lot of the guys, I mean, they coach, you know, some of them coach high school, some of them coach AAU, but there are a lot of former players, even recent former players that are already in coaching. There are other ones that probably will get into coaching, um, so I, I, I think that there are going to be a lot of really good options for you to bring onto your staff that can help you out. Um, and like you mentioned, I think, you know, C.B. McGrath, as, as long as he is considering him one of those Carolina guys, which I would believe he is, I would be pretty stunned if C.B. is not on his staff next year, as long as C.B. wants to get back into being an assistant coach. Um, that's kind of going to be, I guess, up to C.B. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, but I think if, if there is any want to, he will be back on that bench. I think if Gerard Haas was to get fired at Stanford or just was to feel like that wasn't a place that he wanted to be at anymore, I do think Gerard Haas would be welcome back as well. Um, and those are some of the experienced guys. Then you're talking about guys that are coaching on the AAU level, the high school level. You got Jeff McGinnis. Um, who I've been told is, <laughs> I've been told that people are not 100% certain on him just because he is a, apparently an extremely intense coach. I have not seen him coach, to be uh, to be 
really honest with you, but some of the people uh, that I've talked to, they said he is a very intense coach. So I mean, um, I, I don't know, but I, I'm assuming, you know, just from looking at the success that he's had at Combine Academy in, uh, where is that considered? That's Lincoln, North yeah. Carolina. Um, one of the premier academies already on the East Coast for basketball. And that school's been around for two or three years. No, it's been around since 2011. Really? Yeah. But he, I mean, he hasn't he's, been there. He's elevated that really that long. He's been there only a few years. Yeah, he's he, only been there two to three years. That program's right. been around since like them. 11. He has elevated them to just un, unprecedented levels for a school in this area. They are one of the tops in the country. Yeah, we're... We're not going to touch on all the candidates, right? But I'm saying, like, you look at him, you look at Shem- you look at uh, Jawad Williams. Excuse me, he's a coach as well. So there are a ton of different guys in the family that you can pluck from. I feel like people think you're limiting yourself, but there's a talent pool here, coaching wise, that I think is much better than people realize. So that that's the one thing that I'm gonna that that I'm gonna sort of caution people to is that you've got guys in the Carolina family that have a lot of coaching experience. You've got a lot of guys that are up and comers. So I really think that this is, it's not as big of a deal as some people are making it out to be. And I mean, you got to think this tree goes back 60 years. And most of these guys, when they've left the Carolina tree, they've gone elsewhere and had their, their fair share of success. So the system, the philosophy, as he mentioned in this presser, it's tried, it's true. It's proven. You're not limiting yourself. You're still getting guys that are going to find different ways in today's version of basketball that can help you win, whether it's with analytics and floor spacing. And even some of the older guys, they know how to coach. They know how to get the most out of kids. And that's what his job is going to be. The biggest piece of audio that got me ready to go through a brick wall that the Carolina basketball account is pushing down, you know, that's putting out as much as possible, that really every Carolina fan – should get behind. It's a different way of saying, you know, you want you know complete buy-in and all this and, and all that mumbo jumbo that Roy Williams always said. But the way he said it really got Carolina fans fired up. We're gonna show up. We're gonna show up. We're gonna show up to shoot around. We're gonna show up to practice. North Carolina is going to show up every game, every day, every second, every possession. North Carolina will be there. And uh, you know, we were joking you know, in pre in, in pre pod talking about this audio, and uh, you were like, "Well, we got to hope that's true because there were some years that uh, Carolina, or sometimes this year, Carolina didn't show up." You look at certain games where they were just completely not there, one hundred percent mentally, physically, and emotionally. And, you know, one of the biggest worries that I had about hiring him uh, leading up to it was that he was a very emotionless guy on the bench. But he further explained that he thought. That wasn't his job to be that guy on the bench to show that kind of emotion. He thought that was the head coach's job. And if you hear, you know, Marcus Page uh, had a conversation with Adam Lucas saying he's the most fiercest competitor he's ever been around. So he's got this drive, this determination to win. And I do think we're going to see that. You know, there was a joke about when Matt Doherty took the head coaching job back in 2000. One of the first things he did to kind of show there was a new era was that he called it uh, – 
um, he got a technical foul really early in the in this in this home opener because Bill Guthridge always just sat there and didn't coach supposedly. I wonder with Hubert Davis, <laughs> is he gonna just call a timeout just to call a timeout to shut Carolina fans up? Because for eighteen years tips the ball off timeout. Because for eighteen years that's all we've heard Tar Heel fans complain about is well he doesn't call timeouts. What I'm getting at is this. I do think Well, you know what? You know who else didn't call timeout? Mark Few. And what did that what happened for them? They hit a game winning shot. And went to the national title game. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You, you know, but what? But but whatever, whatever. Yeah. You always have to call timeout, right? I I do think. Not saying that the care that the, the the players had tuned out Roy Williams and his message. I do think it'll be refreshing to hear Hubert Davis get up there, and and get these guys to because there's no denying this team last year wasn't 100% bought in. The team of 2020, even though they were injured and were ridden with less talent, they were completely bought in. He hasn't really had a team bought in since that 2019 team, in my opinion, and then that 17 team that won a national championship. So we'll be now, right, now, right. now Davis was on those staffs, and maybe he can tell us otherwise. But I do think um, it will be something to see just Carolina's energy, their effort, if it's more with a new voice leading them. And the last piece of audio we will touch was arguably the most uh, inter- interesting. Um, I'm not going to say controversial, but it caught – Carolina's attention, and that's the potential return of big uh, big man Walker Kessler. Walker here. He's a Carolina guy. I've enjoyed being one of his uh, coaches last year. He's a wonderful kid. I can't think of anybody better to be around an unbelievable charismatic personality and somebody that just wants to get better and to work every day. And look, I got to tell you, you don't uh, you don't make that comment in your introductory press conference if you're not convinced you at least have a legitimate shot of bringing back Walker Kessler. It'll be interesting to see if he does, in fact, return to school. Our reaction to that, because a lot of people believe that his decision to leave fueled Roy Williams' uh, decision to ultimately retire. Roy Williams just said that kind of confirmed it. wasn't really anything that really led to his retirement. But he... he He's kind of playing with villain status here if he doesn't come back. I mean, I, I, I've seen people that don't that that say they don't want him back. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what kind of reception he would receive because I think that there are a lot of people that want him back, but I also feel like there are a lot of people that are kind of up in the air about how they feel about him. There are some questions, and I mean, look, I think there's legitimacy to both sides. I want him back on the team because I think that he has a ton of upside. I want to win. And, yeah, I think he gives you a better chance to win. But I also understand the people that are saying, look, man, you know, we don't know. There could be any time, even when he comes back, that he just says, this still isn't what I want. I'm going to go back into the transport. That's the risk that you're kind of running. So, I mean, I understand both sides. You know, I did think it was interesting that was brought up. Now, he was asked a question about it. This was not information yeah. that he just offered up. Um, but, but he, yeah, but he, I he agree He could have not you. answered it. He could have just said. Could have not answered it. Could have said that's something that is happening. We're working on it. Whatever. He gave a pretty lengthy answer. Yeah. You went into, you know, you broke you broke it down on multiple podcasts how long Roy Williams talked about Wes Miller uh, when he was asked about yeah. him, said he could have moved on. This was similar in the fact that you kind of looked at it and you said to yourself, man, you know, he could have he, he could have just kind of brushed it off, could have given a real, you know, move it along answer, not really, you know, kind of beat around the bush, not answer the question. 
that was not what he did. Yeah. So um, it is it, it is interesting. I think it would definitely be welcome because, look, I mean, you, you look in the transfer portal. I know there's other guys out there. He's the best forward prospect in that transfer portal right now. He We saw last year when he started to get settled, when he started to figure things out, once he got over you know, the early season, remember, he was in COVID protocol originally. You could tell that he was a little bit out of shape because he had been away from the team. Didn't get to kind of go through that final sprint before the season started uh, to sort of get himself 100% ready for the season. You could tell that he was a little bit out of shape and everything like that. Once they got later into the year, we really saw what type of player he was. So that would be huge for him to be able to come back to Carolina next year, especially if... Armando Baycott does go, gets rave reviews, and does go to the NBA, which is possible. I think that a lot of people are sort of just looking at that situation and saying, he's he's definitely going to be back. I, look, I think there's a really good chance that he is going to be back. There is nothing that's 100% guaranteed. If he was to go there and blow up everything at the combine and all of a sudden, I mean, look, this is the thing that people don't understand. There are only two rounds in the NBA draft. So, okay, while it isn't, the, the chances are not great that you will always get drafted if you come out, I'll tell you one thing. It is very easy to climb draft boards. If you, I mean, it's very easy to impress people enough to where you can climb draft boards quickly. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But if you get Walker Kessler back, that would have you in a spot where even if you somehow do lose Baycott, you're feeling like, okay, we're still going to be in a pretty decent spot. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing is that if you get him to come back, he's he's got an idea of how the Carolina system works. There's not that adjustment period that most transfers have when they transfer in or like incoming freshmen. He's already went through that and uh, in, in somewhat, but the, also in a COVID setting. Hopefully, if we're out of COVID, it's not going to be uh, as stressful as learning how to adjust to Carolina basketball. All that audio, courtesy of GoHeels.com, if you miss his opening uh, press conference. Go back to GoHeels.com. You can hear the whole, it's like 40 minutes or so, of him talking about becoming the 19th head coach of Carolina basketball. All right, before we get out of here, uh, we touched on it a little bit, but with him being hired, there comes some questions. You're hiring a first-time head coach with no head coaching experience. Um, and so I got a question that says, was he the right choice from the Carolina family? If you can go back, if you can remember back when we discussed about this, before he got hired, I was an advocate for Wes Miller. And I'll say this. I think Wes Miller right now is the better coach for Carolina basketball in terms of on-the-court success. I think they would be set up more to win right now under Wes Miller than Hubert Davis. But listening to the, the – and I'll watch it all press conference live – I've listened to everything he said since he took the job. This is circa 2003 when you hired Roy Williams. You got the right man for Carolina basketball. It's it's so much bigger here than just winning basketball games. This isn't this isn't like you know Mac Brown's job is to win football games. Well, the head coach of Carolina basketball, you're supposed to win basketball games, be the ambassador for the university, um, take care of a, of a family, and all this stuff. Hubert Davis is that. Well, okay. I, For, think, I do want to say this. Mac Brown's job is, is to, to win, win football, football game. games, but he has also brought that family-like element to football. It's not his job, though. 
and he's. I think he's going to make that a part of the job. But that's 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 a football podcast that yeah. will be done when he retires. Um. So, the difference is that I think Wes Miller could win Carolina basketball, can, can win basketball games a lot sooner and a lot quicker. And I, I think Carolina's going to win big under Hubert Davis. But I do think everything that comes with the job, Hubert Davis was the right man for the job. I, I mean, look, I, I'm not. I'm not going to say anything really against uh, against Wes in that respect. It's nothing because, against Wes Miller. It well, is that we, much of a all I'm compliment saying, to Hubert Davis because every person you don't just get 30 people to come out and say positive things about you. You got to have a positive impact, and you've been in different places: college, the NBA, right. ESPN. You've had the opportunity for people to talk down about this hire, and no one's done it. And so I think that speaks kind of volumes to the kind of man we're getting. In well, Hubert Davis. I also feel like a lot, of, most people would have been the same way about Wes Miller. I, I really do think that. I, I'm just saying, look, we because he didn't get hired, we didn't get to hear a Wes Miller press conference. We have no idea if he would have won his press conference. Hubert Davis won his press conference. He did exactly what he needed to do. He said all the right things. Now he's he's got to back it up on the court for sure. Um, but I'm with you. I think right now where we where we sit, we're thinking to ourselves. We feel pretty confident in what he can do. That all I'm saying is, in fairness to West Miller, we did not hear what West Miller had to say. They don't have this. Isn't like part of the job interview where you have to do these mock press conferences or whatever, and we get to see him and compare him and say, well, you know, West would have been a really great hire as well. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I think that's that's a pretty astute analysis. I, I will say this: I feel a lot better about his hire now than I did when he was originally hired. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think that one of the big things is yes, you've heard multiple people around the program come out in support. There hasn't been anybody that's that's gone against the hire. To be honest with you, I don't think anybody would come out publicly publicly and say that. Um, but it seems like a lot of people really feel confident about the chances of Hubert Davis coming in and having success. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, because he, he is such a big Carolina guy, they really do think what we think, that he is going to be able to put a really great staff around him. He's going to get a lot of guys that are going to be interested in playing at Carolina, living the Carolina lifestyle that he has lived, and maybe having a similar career career path to what he did. And that you know, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about him is look, he knows the type of players that he's looking for. He was not a highly recruited guy coming out of high school. He will not be afraid to go away from a guy because they say, you know, I want to play for Carolina, but I don't really know if I love Carolina. He will move off of that recruit and move on to somebody else. He will find those diamonds in the rough. Which is something that I'm not going to say that Roy didn't try to do that late in his career because, I mean, for Christ's sake, he had he had Luke May later on in his career that was extremely successful, came in as a three-star. But I think that part of it was, and you know what? Again, and I'm going to keep doing this. This podcast, this this will be said often over the next couple of years. The fan base can point to themselves as why Roy Williams' success went down, why Roy Williams retired, because they they put him there. They were on social media, all all over the place. We need to recruit these top prospects better. Well, guess what? With these top prospects comes guys that don't give a rat's you know what 
about Carolina. They don't care. And I, they don't give a they, they don't care about Carolina the way that you're going to find if you get a guy like Luke May, if you get a guy like Hubert Davis was. Guys that will literally tell a head coach, "I will walk on to your program to play for you." And you know, I, I referenced that after the season ended against Wisconsin and we were going through what we you, which has now become an offseason of, of uncertainty. And I mentioned about all the guys threatening the transfer that have now transferred. You've you've had two guys that are in the NBA draft. One's in the officially in the draft. One's going through the process. Not saying that Armando Baycott and De'Aaron Sharp don't love Carolina, but and I went off on Walker Kessler, a guy that could very well be back in the fold. <laughs> We're gonna good thing you deleted that podcast. You know, you know I, and I think that's a big thing is that you you can bring top tier talent here, and he mentioned that. But if you're coming here, unpack your bags and be invested in Carolina for however long you're here. Some of these guys that Roy Williams were bringing in, because there was pressure to recruit that way because you're North Carolina, you're supposed to get that kind of talent. Yep. Those guys weren't invested. When you come to Carolina, like, look, my, my main focus is for you to win basketball games. That's my – but – it's also being a part of the community and doing all those things. Now, granted, this year you couldn't because of COVID. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, get yeah, that. yeah. But at least show a willingness to do it, not be forced to do it. Be will willingly be involved. Right. That, and, and to be honest with you, most uh, any almost any of the guys that I've seen have. I haven't really seen a guy that stood out to me. Like I'll say this: I have not seen a Ben Simmons type of guy. Where when he, Ben Simmons went to LSU. You knew he was there for one reason and one reason only. He was there to play basketball and move on to the NBA. And again, and uh, this is something that I've said to you multiple times, and whenever we talk about it on the basketball podcast, whenever we talk about one and dones and everything like that, this is going to come up. This is on the NBA and the NCAA for how they work things right now. You need to let these guys go straight yeah. out of high school. It's just that simple because these guys – they don't want to be there. It's making the product worse. And, I mean, in, in all honesty, it is driving some of these coaches just just crazy the way that things are right now. That's a whole other that's a whole other podcast we can do in the summer. My opinion on that situation is this. You either can go from high school to the NBA, and that's okay. But if you go to college, three years like in football. I know football you can't go from high school to the NFL. But their bodies at 18 aren't ready to go to the NFL. You, your body can be 18 to go to the NBA. Zion Williamson's body was ready at 18 to produce at the NBA level. But in college, that may it makes it makes both products better. You get a better version of the college product. And then when those guys go to the NBA, they are ready for the pro level level of basketball. And it'll make the NBA product better. I would say two years, and, but uh, and and we'll do it in the we'll talk about it in the off season because. I think that then you're going to start getting into the you know having to having to pay guys if you're going to require them to stay a certain amount of time, whatever. So that's a whole nother topic. But the main thing that that this was that this is focused on is the fact that Hubert Davis is going to look for different types of guys. Now that's the thing you may have to temper your expectations for this team when they bring in some of these guys. No longer are you going to have a ton of these guys like we've had the past couple of years where in year one they could come in and have a major impact. Some of these guys that he will be recruiting, they will take time to develop, but they are going to be guys that are going to be willing to put in the work and willing to climb the depth chart, very similar to Luke May. We remember the first time that we saw Luke May in a game. We said, what 
in what in the hell is this guy doing in in a basketball game right now in his significant moment? Fast forward a couple years later, he hits one of the biggest shots in Carolina history, and then as a senior coming into the season was arguably the team's best player. Those are the types of guys that I think Hubert Davis is going to look at. And to be really honest with you, with the lack of success that we've seen from them recruiting some of these big-name guys, these one-and-done guys over the past couple of years, I'm not really against it. I, yeah, I've said all along I'm not against getting older, staying older, recruiting high-end, four-star, five-star players that you, you know are going to be there for a couple of years and develop. Now, look, um, none, this ain't going to be deemed successful unless he wins. And I do think as we're transitioning in this era, we need to understand that we're probably not going to win the ACC next season, probably not going to make the Final Four. So what is the most important thing for him to do to set himself up and the program up for success? I think it starts with the staff. I think if he gets the the right staff in place, like we've seen with Mac Brown on the football side of yep. things, yep. It, I think makes, it's crucial. it makes this adjustment easier because he's going to have to learn as he goes. He's never been a head coach at the Power 5 level, let alone at a job as prestigious at North Carolina, let alone at, at, a, at a job in a conference like the ACC, which we all expect to bounce back next season after a, a rather down year this past year. And I, I, you know, you look at some of these 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 great coaches that are coming from the NBA ranks or with no college basketball experience, they have elite staffs around them. I, I mean, it's no doubt it's it's going to be important. Um, I think that in recent years, um, just just because of the fact that this is now a three hundred and sixty five, three hundred sixty six, depending on the year. Uh, day-a-year job, you got to have a good staff around you. I mean, even Roy Williams, I mean, I, I think that's one of the more underrated things. Like, we are huge Roy guys. We have always been huge Roy guys. We're extremely supportive uh, of, you know, him and, and what he did in his time at Carolina. The fact of the matter is, Roy Williams had some amazing staffs that he put around himself, which is a, a, you know great on him. A lot of those hires, he was the one that went and recommended them. It's also a great job of Bubba Cunningham, of Dick Bedore before him, making sure that those guys were paid the way they needed to to be able to stay on those staffs and help Roy Williams. You've got to have, I mean, look at the fact Joe Holiday was a tremendous assistant coach. I don't, is he in the assistant coaches Hall of Fame? Because we know Steve Robinson is. Um, he's got to be. I'm assuming he's probably in there as well. Roy Williams has had some amazing staffs around him. And as you mentioned, on the football side of things, I think that was one of the things we noticed that about the football team with Larry Fedora. They weren't able to keep staff members around. That was what was ultimately the start of the downfall to their success. You've seen it with Mac Brown coming in. The football program has had their same staff together for three years now, only losing one guy, and he went to Alabama. That was a step up. That made sense. That team has had so much more success because of that. That's the key when it comes to putting this staff together. One, you want to find guys that are Carolina guys. He wants to find you know the guys from the Smith, Guthridge, and Williams era makes a lot of sense but the biggest thing is also you want guys that are not only going to come in and be there to help you coach for a few years you want guys that are looking at that and saying look I want to be here for the long run 
you got to, I mean, trust me, there are going to be guys on your staff very similar to what we saw with Roy, where, you know, they will they, they will potentially leave for head coaching jobs. And that's fine. You want some of your guys to go on and, and, and have that type of success. But you also want to have that, that Steve Robinson type that's going to stick by you and is looking at it as, look, this is where I want to be. I want to be an assistant coach. I want to be on your bench. You've got to be able to find those guys. I think he will. He may already have that guy and yeah. Brad Frederick on his bench, um, or you know potentially Steve Robinson returning. We just don't know. I I think that that's going to be the key. Is can you balance that staff out right to where you bring in some guys that have maybe some head coaching experience that can help you through what's going to be a little bit of a bumpy start probably for him because he is a first time head coach at the D1 level. This isn't going to be the JV team anymore. Uh, and you can bat, you also have those guys that are going to be there for a long time and, and are going to grow with you. That was one of the things that when we look at Steve Robinson, that's what Steve Robinson did with Roy Williams. He was with him from the beginning and grew with him. To me, that guy on the staff is probably Sean May yeah. that's going to grow with them. So if you can find those right set of guys, you're going to be set up for success. I really think so. Speaking of success, the last thing we'll touch on before we do get out of here on the very first edition of the Four Corners podcast is what does he have to do to, to deem this successful? So before Roy Williams got the job in 03, in the previous 65 years, Carolina won three national championships. Not bad. College basketball is arguably the hardest tournament, hardest championship to win because you got to win now six one and done elimination games. No other sport you have to do that in in the, uh, the United States. Roy Williams comes in and in the first fourteen years won three national championships. So he duplicated the same amount of success in about the fourth amount of time between Dean Smith or 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 between Frank Frank McGuire, Dean Smith, Bill Guthridge, and Matt Doherty. I mentioned that, you know, as much as taking care of the family is a big part of this job, it ultimately you gotta win. You gotta do both. You gotta win and you gotta keep the family together. So when you know, we're hoping this is a fifteen, twenty year decision here that he's gonna be here for the long haul. For that to be the case, what does success look like under Heber Davis? I mean, it's 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 really tough because I I feel like most people are going to say multiple national championships. I don't know if that's where I'm at, though, because I just I, living up to the legacy of those two guys is going to be extremely difficult. And I, I said this when we did the podcast after he got hired. I felt like when you looked at this hire, you felt like this was a safer hire than going with a guy like Wes Miller, um, possibly even going with a guy that could be on his staff in King Rice. I think this is one where you've got a pretty high floor as to the success of Hubert Davis, where I don't think you're ever going to be awful under Hubert Davis. But I don't know how high the ceiling is for him. Do I think he could bring home a national championship? Yes. Um, but I will say this. I would say in order for him to be deemed successful – I would say if he could get to three or four Final Fours and maybe win a national championship, you would consider that successful. But I don't know. Most Carolina fans probably wouldn't consider that successful because of just how successful the program as a whole has been. I think the expectations are extremely high, but I just that that is so much to live up to because you're talking about 
two of the greatest head coaches in college basketball history, probably two of the four greatest head coaches in college basketball history, that you are having to try to replicate the type of success that they had. I just, I, I mean, to me, like I said, if he can get to those to, to three or four Final Fours and get a championship out of it, I would consider it successful. For yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned all their high expectations. That's that's the job. This is the best job in college basketball. I'd argue it's probably a top three job in college athletics right there with Notre Dame, Alabama, Ohio State football. This is better than two-thirds of the jobs in the NBA. You've got you've got to win here, and you've, you've got to win big. You've got the resources to win big, but it's also really hard to win national championships. So I'm not saying he has to win a national title to deem this successful. Well, that see, that's the other but thing. But he's got to be like Bill Guthridge. Bill Guthridge made two Final Fours in right. three years. That that move to to quit as late as he did to make Bill Guthridge the head coach was successful. Had that team not made the Final Four in 97-98 and then 2000 never happens, you're probably looking at three years where you lost. And then that becomes six years because you didn't really accomplish anything under Matt Doherty. So I don't know if he has to necessarily win the national championship, and, and I hope he's here 15 to 20 years. That's the, that's the goal. That's what we're hoping for. But he's at least got to get to the Final Four a handful of times. Right, right. That's deem, where I'm at. To deem this successful. Well, the biggest thing that's different as well is when you look back at when Dean Smith was here, and even to a certain extent, I think for Roy Williams' first two national championships, there was nowhere near as much parity in college basketball as there is now. I mean, you're talking about going into this tournament. There were multiple people throughout the country that legitimately thought Loyola of Chicago as an eight seed was going to make the Final Four. And when they beat Illinois, it was pretty much expected that they were going to the Final Four. You're talking about a UCLA team that came out of the first four to make the Final Four. The parity in the sport is as 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 great as it has ever been. That's what so makes it is, college basketball right, as great as it is. But it also makes it, especially for the Blue Bloods like Carolina is, the m- most difficult it has been to win a national championship. Because it used to be when you got into the tournament, yeah, there were si- there were 64 other teams in there. To be honest with you, how many of them had a legitimate chance to make a run and win a national championship? Maybe 25? Now... I mean, you look, there are legitimately probably 40-plus teams when you enter the tournament that you can look at and say, hey, if that team made a run, I wouldn't be surprised at all. That's the point that you've gotten to in college basketball. So, I mean, look, for the general college basketball fans that we are, that's great. As guys that follow and cover Carolina, that, that means that, it's not as likely as it was in the past that you're going to be able to string together multiple years of success. That's why when you look back on what Roy Williams did from 2016 to 2019, it is unbelievable the Three amount number of success. One seeds in a two season. I mean, that's crazy. That's that is almost unheard of now in college basketball because I mean Look at even look at at Duke over the last couple of years. Kentucky. I mean, this is it is really hard to be that successful consecutive years in a row now with the way that college basketball is. So that's the thing that Hubert Davis is is going to have to navigate. Um, but I do think that 
again, he's a guy that I think is ready to take on the expectations. He doesn't seem like a guy that's that's scared of the expectations. And I think that being an assistant, being around that gives him a chance to succeed. Now, that's not saying I, I think Wes Miller would be able to handle those expectations, too. You got to think, both times that he's been in the NCAA tournament, he his teams have had the expectations that they were going to come in and upset opponents. They didn't pull the upset either time, but they gave both of the teams that they played against really tough games. So, I, I mean, that's the thing is, I think there were a couple of guys in the Carolina family that were ready for these expectations, but... I think Hubert Davis is the guy that feels like he might be the most ready for these expectations right now. We're going to find out. It's a mere seven months away before we'll see Carolina back on the basketball court. But we are going to find out in the short term and the long term if Carolina did make the right move in hiring Hubert Davis as the 19th head coach of Carolina basketball. With that, guys, we are going to get out of here for the first edition of the Four Corners podcast. I know there are other news and nuggets around Carolina basketball that we didn't touch on in this podcast, that'll be the next episode where we touch on some of the stuff regarding Carolina's roster makeup as of right now. Before we let you go, talk to you guys about the website, HeelToughBlog.com. You actually heard that in the intro of the podcast where that's where you can go to the first to find the Four Corners podcast. But uh, on the website, man, we've had you covered with all the basketball news coming out of Chapel Hill in the last week or so. Go back and read everything up about Hubert Davis being hired, the assistant head coaches he should look at, the decision to not retain Kendall Marshall, Walker Miller or, or, or Armando Baycott's decision to enter the NBA draft without an agent, Walker Kessler on potentially coming back to Carolina. Carolina's also lost Garrison Brooks to the portal, and today they landed Justin McCoy from the portal. So get all that great basketball coverage on HeelToughBlog.com. Also got some football news coming up out for you guys as well. There's a couple of scouting reports available for you guys. We're also getting you ready for the spring game as we're less than two weeks away from the screen, which, which, which me and Anthony will be actually in attendance for April 24th in Chapel Hill. And lastly, we encourage you guys, like we do with the Royce Boys podcast, to rate, review, and ultimately subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on every major podcasting feed, most certainly Spreaker, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts. Rate me, rate Anthony, review the podcast, but we want you guys to subscribe. That we get every new episode of the Four Corners podcast right there in your podcast library. Well, with that... I want to thank Anthony for taking the time to co-host with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. <laughs>